our beer of the week this week is the Ranch Water Seltzers again. Because we didn't run out, so let's shout out Jack again for giving us these seltzers. And uh, let's get right into what might be a depressing start to this week's episode. It's it's definitely a depressing start here at Perfect Takes. I'm your host, Stephen Patton, joined by my co-host, Jacob LaCroix. And we have a lot to break down. We're obviously going to start with what happened last night. And it was... It was rather atrocious what happened in Charlotte. You're expecting like a great home opener. You're expecting to see more like offensive firepower, especially with DJ Chark back in the lineup. And it was just none of that. Right. I think both of these Monday night football games yesterday were kind of rough to watch. The uh, The Browns and the Steelers, obviously, for different reasons. Uh, heart goes out to Nick Chubb. That was just a, a crazy injury. Hope he, he gets better soon. And just hope everything works out there. And then for our game, the Panthers and Saints on Monday Night Football, it was a bad game. You're right. And it was particularly bad on offense. Bryce had some of his bad moments. He had that fumble in the red zone where he could have just gone down or thrown the ball away. He had another sack in the red zone that maybe took him out of going for it on fourth down. But we ended up with a field goal there, so that was good. But he kind of looked a bit rattled in his second game. I don't want to undersell what Dennis Allen did. He's a good defensive coordinator. But the offense was just atrocious. And I saw a tweet earlier today talking about for rookie QBs, you really need to hit on two of the three Ps for them. And that's playmakers, play callers, and protection. And all three last night were horrendous. The O-line, just the Saints were able to get pressure with three and four men, moves, stunts, basic rushes. Uh, the playmakers, they didn't get open at all. Uh, we saw Mingo have some rookie moments, some struggles. Uh, Thielen didn't really get open. Bryce almost threw a pick because the guy covered Thielen so easily. Uh, Hurst didn't yeah, do Thielen anything. Yeah, Thielen had the play the defender the for that one. Yeah. Up. yeah. The, uh, which it was really good coverage, by the way, uh, by Alante Taylor on that play. And I know JT O'Sullivan, the the QB school on Twitter and on YouTube, he's going to have a field day with that one because I don't know if you watch his videos, Steve. He's not a huge fan of Adam Thielen. You so. didn't you didn't see his comment? Because oh, yeah, he commented yeah, on that. Yeah, he, was he, like, he was like, I don't know uh, who 19 is, but he doesn't have the speed to play like wide receiver the NFL. Like I literally don't know what happened between JT Sullivan and Adam Thielen, but somebody like slept with somebody's girlfriend at the time. Like it, it's it's bad the beef between these two. Yeah, maybe J.T. O'Sullivan was on the Vikings roster at one point and Thielen would just drop all of his passes on purpose. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just there, the protection was bad for most of the game. I think they held up pretty well in the run game uh, for most of it, especially with Chuba running the ball. Um, the protection was bad, though. The playmakers weren't great. And the play calling, I think, was the worst of all three. There's just no creativity in the play calls. If it was a run, we knew it was halfback dive. And if it wasn't a run, it was the same three receivers out there and 11 personnel running very similar routes, not uh, scheming them open at all. Bryce was really up against it. And I, I am impressed with how he played for most of the game. Like he was trying to do everything he could to overcome all like the just terrible teammates around. Not terrible teammates, but terrible performance around him. But, uh, he, yeah, he, he messed up in a couple moments. And just overall as a whole, that def- or the offense was hard for, hard for me to watch for sure. And I, I want to hone in on exactly like what you said with the three Ps. And I want to start with pass protection. Obviously, when you're starting a rookie at left guard in Zavala, 
and then you're starting Cade Mays at right guard. And like you said, he only played about 50% of the snaps. You have a lot of inexperience right there in your interior offensive line. You have a defensive play caller in Dennis Allen who's able to simulate a lot of pressure. Like you said, he's he's able to show that like, oh, maybe five or six are coming. And then he dropped back eight and he only had three coming. And some of that stuff creates a lot of confusion. Uh, it confuses what Bryce Young sees, which doesn't help him in trying to make a quick decision. And then, like you said, the playmakers around him, Thielen's not getting separation, even though he had probably, uh, I think it was outside of Hurst, he had the most separation on the team. Uh, you had guys like Mingo dropping passes, and it just all kind of, I think, really stemmed from the lack of creativity, like you said. Like, we talked about this with the preseason. Thomas Brown was calling the second halves, and it looked like we had more juice, there was more motion, there was more creativity with what was going on. And I think that's what Thomas Brown would bring if he steps into a play caller role is he's going to be able to marry the run in the pass really well. Because like you said, it just, you you could feel when a run was coming, they'd be in shotgun on first and 10 and you knew a halfback dive was coming. Like that's, that's not, it's not creative. It's not causing the defense to kind of hesitate and think about what you're doing. And in order to improve, those are areas we need to grow in. And so Frank Reich at some point does need to relinquish the play calling duties and hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. His post-game presser also wasn't a great look, in my opinion, where Sheena Quick, who's probably one of, if not the best, Panthers beat writers, asked uh, a question about how he alluded to, uh, Frank Reich alluded to, at some point Thomas Brown would call plays, and did Frank Reich ever consider that in this game? And Reich got, I I would say he got pretty defensive about it. And uh, he was like, no, I didn't consider that at all. Right. We could all the coaches could all be better. The play, the players could all be better. But I think the play caller is fine. And I, I don't know if he meant to sound that way, but the way it sounded was we can all be better. But the play caller, a.k.a. me, is doing a good job. And maybe he didn't like see the 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 implication there, but it, it was just an interesting comment at the end of the game. Hopefully moving forward, there is some more juice in the the play calling. Just so if players can't get open, scheme them open. And if those players can't get open, put some of the other receivers on the team in the game. I was uh, We were talking about it before the pod. Mingo was on the field for, I think, 59 of the 60 offensive plays. And I don't want to – I know I'm kind of a Mingo hater or whatever. I don't want to bag on him a bunch. But if he's not getting open or if he's having rookie struggles – Maybe take him out for a few plays, and I just don't see why they wouldn't give him a rest or spell him a couple plays to maybe get his head together or get some Gatorade so he's not out there every single uh, play. Absolutely, and the fact that like we talked about this also before recording is that we rostered like five tight ends in our initial 53-man roster. I don't think we mm-hmm. have all five at the moment. I may be wrong. Yeah, Sullivan's we- on IR. So you still have four guys and we ran 11 personnel over the first two weeks at a 91% clip. And it's just, you, you need to have a little bit more diversity. Our wide receiver room is not that deep. Maybe change it up a little bit, go a little bit heavier, force the defense to honor the run and then try to run some play action off that. And it's, it's stuff like that where it's, you, you don't even have to get super creative in the play design as much as what's going on pre-snap, like force the defense to be in a base package. If you're running 12 and 13 personnel, that's what Arthur Smith has been doing in Atlanta. And that's, but what's been working for him is he forces a defense to get in a base package and he takes advantage of that. And I, I think Bryce Young would benefit from kind of that same mindset as well. So 
it's just it's it's really confusing. Um, we saw the success McVay had against the Seahawks in week one and Thomas Brown coming from his coaching staff. Like I would hope that we're able to implement some of those same concepts that not only the Rams were able to execute, but we were able to run last year and just running heavier personnel sets. This defensive line that the Seahawks has isn't necessarily a world beater. And we need to start dominating in the trenches and leaning on some of the strengths in this offense and not trying to just gear this to like an aerial attack because this is not in offense equipped for that at the moment. We're, we're a couple wide receivers away from being able to do some of those concepts and, and, and play it out the way that I think Reich is envisioning. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Last year, uh, once Steve Wilkes took over, I think the strength of our game was in the offensive line, particularly run blocking. And that's why we were able to have some success later in the year. And I know we're without Brady Christensen for the year and Corbett for the next few games. But Icky's still there, who's like a mauler in the run game. Bozeman's a really good run blocker. Uh, Moten is just excellent. Uh, they should they should really lean on those guys to run the ball. And like you said, incorporate 12 personnel. Uh, I know one of the big things about Frank Reich coming from uh, Indianapolis was that he was supposed to be a guy who utilizes the tight ends a lot. And Hurst played just over half of the snaps. And the other three tight ends that played being Ian Thomas, Ricci, and Tremble, they were hardly on the field. So we were hardly looking at 12 personnel at all. And that really impacts the run game, like you're saying. If you're not going to have an extra blocker in there and you're you have guys split out wide on either side and a guy in the slot and the Saints know that the run is coming, well, they can just load the box and make it like seven on five and just easily stop Sanders or Chuba, and that's what they did. That's why we had so many second and 11, second and nines, which really put us behind the chains on uh, second and third down. Yeah, no, and it didn't help. And then it put our defense on the field like so fast, mm -hmm. like into into things. I think we had two three and outs in the first half. We obviously had the fumble towards the end where we should have at least tied the game going in the halftime. And again, it goes on Bryce. He had two bad plays in the red zone that really could have changed the tide of the game. Like if we, for some reason, instead of the fumble, we score a touchdown there. Um, then I think towards the second half, we're able to lean more on the defense in the run game and, and, and be more balanced in our approach. And so you've got to be able to execute some of those plays when you get those opportunities down in the red zone. And hopefully we get better as that goes along. I, I have been encouraged by seeing some of the things we've done offensively in terms of moving the ball. But some of it also seems like defenses, like when we moved the ball towards the end of the Saints, they were playing prevent coverage. Like he was taking everything underneath, everything the defense was giving them. And it's it's not it's not working within structure against a, a team's pretty much game plan coming into the week. Like this is just taking what the defense gives you. And I, I just, I feel like we're, we're at the point now where you start to have to, I, I I'm mincing my words here, but you, you're going to have to start to transform your offense in a way that it's going to help Bryce Young succeed because having him drop back 30 plus times a game, I don't think is going to be in his benefit over the next few weeks. Absolutely. Like you're saying, outside of that last drive, I think our only explosive play was, it was I think it was a third and 10 or something, where Bryce uh, scrambled and put the move on Marcus May and ran for like 25 yards. That was our biggest play, a breakdown in protection. Nobody was open and he had to scramble for it. So absolutely, absolutely looking for more creativity in the offense moving forward. And just not even like being creative in play design, like you're saying, just creative in the play calls and being more multiple in what you're doing as opposed to, okay, this is a run. This is the formation we're using. These are the receivers we're using every play. Just, just mix it up. That's all I'm looking for. 
Absolutely. And hopefully we see that moving forward. Otherwise, we're definitely going to need uh, some change at the play caller position sooner rather than later. On the defensive side, similar to the offense, we've been dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, Shaq Thompson's out for the year. I think he had was, – was it an ankle injury? I it was a fractured fibula. And it's, uh, he had surgery on it this morning. It went well, but he is out for the year. So with him, Brian Burns looked a little bit hobbled towards the end of the game yesterday. We already know Horn's out for several weeks. It's one of these things that some of our stars and, and veteran leadership are starting to get banged up. And you just hope that Evero can kind of keep that group together and have them playing at a high level because that's what's been keeping us in games the past two weeks. I, our offense cannot go toe-to-toe in a scoring fest. Like we saw last week, the Seahawks and Lions both put up 30-plus points each. That's not something Carolina is equipped to do at the moment. And so we we need to be able to play kind of down and dirty, be, be a little bit more in the trenches, and just win, play in, and play out rather than trying the, the win on these 20-plus yard gainers. Because – this isn't Ben Johnson's offense. We aren't we aren't rolling out and hitting wide open guys in space. And I I wish we were because that's that's what we were kind of sold on with this Reich, uh, Reich regime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, regarding the defense, we did take some heavy losses these first two weeks, but I don't think the defense missed a beat last night after Horn didn't play or Thompson went down pretty early. I thought Frankie Louvu played excellent. He, I think he would be my player of the game if we had to pick somebody. It's actually uh, Louvu's birthday today, so happy birthday to Louvu. Hopefully you get a, a new contract pretty soon as a present. Uh, yeah, player of the game, Camus Grugier-Hill stepped up when Shaq Thompson went down. He had that really important sack on a third down that really stopped the, I think the Saints were in the red zone, or pushing towards the red zone that forced a field goal. I think uh, our defense played really well. I know uh, we all like to rag on C.J. Henderson and Dante a lot, but I actually thought this was Henderson's best game as a Carolina Panther. He obviously had the P.I. against Michael Thomas, and then the pass he gave up versus Olave down the field, but that was that was excellent coverage, and Olave just made the play there. He was he was there in coverage. My thing is is that offensive coordinators and quarterbacks know that they're going to keep targeting him. Yeah, so he's gonna, Michael he's Thomas see targets. He, he he had like five catches, and it's like some of those things he was he was moving the chains with some of those, and I, the coverage he had on the Chris Olave catch, you can't ask for anything better than that. Like, and so it's it's not so much dogging him as just knowing that quarterbacks aren't afraid to target him, and he's not he's not going to force a quarterback to kind of take a second thought about it. Like Horn would, like Horn had right. the ability to kind of close some out to where you you you'd think twice about throwing his way. And so that's that's really the big thing is is can we continue to kind of get after the quarterback, keep the offense at bay? Uh, we don't have to play the the world beaters in terms of the quarterbacks uh, this year, which is nice. We play, I think, the best quarterback we play is later in the year in like Dak Prescott, and he's a top ten quarterback. But when you're saying that like you play in the AFC West and you have to play Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes twice a year, it's a completely different schedule and world that the Panthers live in defensively. I can't believe you skipped over your MVP pick as somebody. Oh, we, we do, we do, we do play Trevor Lawrence. Yes, I, I would just say at this moment, Dak Prescott, I think, is playing a little bit better. But again, like those, those two are the best we're playing this year. It's not that we're playing like six of the best, six of the ten best quarterbacks in the AFC, for instance. Like it's not like Lamar, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, that kind of deal. Uh, we're playing the AFC South and the NFC South. So our defense can kind of take advantage of that. The one thing that did concern me last night was Taysom Hill was kind of running all over the place. I I, I didn't like seeing that. 
Uh, I thought we did a good job in the past game. Uh, Jamal Williams, after the first couple of series, we kind of kept him in check. He came off the field, I think, with an injury. Um, but th that was really the biggest concern. Our defense did its job yesterday. Um, Eddie Pinero did great. He hit, like, mm -hmm. what was it, 250 yarders to start the game. So, yeah, he had it. I think he hit his career long in this game, like a 55, 54, 55 yarder. So, really good game for him, for sure. Yeah, and, and positives going away. Again, like we've talked about this, about the offense, that's been our big driving point home is there's got to be some changes there. Uh, from a schematic standpoint, you got to take the next evolution and whatever the offense is going to turn into uh, moving forward and just run with that because the defense is what it is. Uh, the special teams are doing their job for the most part. Uh, Hecker had some great punts. Uh, punt coverage wasn't terrible last night. So definitely a lot of good things to kind of build upon but we, we, we got to do something about creating explosive plays and limiting the negative plays on offense. Absolutely. I think the defense was definitely the positive last night, as well as Eddie and Johnny Hecker. Uh, but we really have a really good special teams unit this year. That's something that we can look forward to. I think another huge positive was that the crowd was electric at the game once the game got started and rolling. I know us, Panther, us Panthers fans, we like to uh, get to the games a little late and the lines are a little long so uh at kickoff it might not be filled but right around the halfway through the first quarter into the end of the game it was loud in there i wasn't really i wasn't there but i had friends who were there and they said it was the best atmosphere for a panthers game since 2017 back when we met, uh, last made the playoffs so that's really good to hear and then another positive i would say is bryce got to run his first successful two-minute drill and obviously like you're saying they're playing prevent defense because it was pretty much over at that point but just the experience of getting to run that moving the ball down the field hitting mingo on that nice uh out route at the end and then getting the touchdown and the successful two-point conversion where he improvised a bit and found Thielen. that was a really good experience for him and hopefully I, and that was a good throw on go the two point I, I, oh, yeah. I know i've been dogging bryce but that was a good fine good throw and it's stuff like that that you want to build upon and don't want to take away from but it was just it was too wasted at red zone opportunities in this game uh obviously a slow anemic offense and hopefully that changes now right the, around uh, before we get there i want to say that's what he did a lot in college uh on that two, uh, two point conversion it's moving like throwing not throwing on the move but going on the move setting his feet super quick and hitting the hole like that's uh the jameer gibbs touchdown versus texas was just to the other side that's what bryce does and that's it's really encouraging to see that translate when the rest of the offense around him throughout the game didn't really help absolutely and you saw that uh with the hip movement and moving to the side when he hit dj chark uh on a first down play i think in the second half so I, it was it was plays like that that you, you get him out in space where he does and does well he might be able to take that next step and that, that's where we're talking about pre-show it needs to be more under center kind of play action bootlegs get him out in space where he can see everything and then make a play from there and i think that'll help him set his feet more he won't have to be worried about kind of the pocket collapsing as much there's there's different layers to that that help protect him and give him the best options possible Absolutely. And uh, I want to kick off the around the NFL section today just because I have a gripe to get through. Uh, why are there only three middle slate games next week? We have nine 1 p.m. games and only three, four and 430 games. One of them is the Panthers game in Seattle. But why are we doing this? Like, don't don't we understand that having like six one o'clock and six four thirties is better? 
Like, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Like, cause red zone stinks once it's only three games, right? It is. It is. I, yeah, I would prefer like, if it was like at least four in the four o'clock window, because usually that gives enough spacing between that you're kind of caught up and everything. But yeah, when you get down to about two or three games in that four o'clock window, it gets really dry on red zone. And then it makes the one o'clock window feel like there's so much going on because yeah, it's like you you're missing so a new game every two seconds. Like you said, you miss several plays or several critical moments. So it's, if you're able to space that out, I feel like uh, fans and uh, other audience members are able to kind of soak in a lot more content than they would otherwise. Yeah. It was like this past week, they were focused on, I think it was the Falcons and Packers game. And they were focused on what it was the Titans, Titans, Chargers and Falcons Packers. And they, they were on those two games forever. This was in the one o'clock window. And then Scott Hansen's like, I promise you, we didn't forget about the Chiefs and Jaguars, Jaguars game. Yes, you did. <laughs> like, you haven't shown us that game in an hour and a half. And that was a one score game for a lot of the game. But uh, yeah, like, it's good. It's just like, we got We got to figure out a way to make some more of the games West Coast, or at least uh, Central Time throughout the year. So we have more four o'clock games. But th yeah, that's my kind of mini rant uh, going into this section. Oh, yeah. No, you're good. I think that's a good one to get off your chest. I think another one as a Panthers fan, I know we're 0 and 2. That's, that's a whole big mess and hole that we're in. But a team that we traded for the move up to number one were the Chicago Bears, a team mm -hmm. that I you, from their fan base, you would have heard, especially with the state of the NFC North this offseason, that they were going to win no less than 10 games. And they've come flat out on their face. And there's a lot of questions surrounding Justin Fields. Is it really the offensive line? Is it really the playmakers? I know a lot of the uh, finger pointing is now on their offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, for calling apparently the same screen like three times that led to the pick six. So you have some of that stuff going on. Um, JT Sullivan, I think, did an hour and a half breakdown on Justin Fields. And this was his draft darling when he came out of Ohio State. And this guy is just fell flat on his face, does not know how to process the play in rhythm, the play in time. So as Panthers fans, I'm, I'm sure we're glad that we dodged the bullet with Justin Fields. But it's one of those things that they are not the team that they thought they were. And they are still like... People, people need to remember, they were 3-14 and 14 last year and had the number one overall pick. So they're going to still play to a below-average level team play, more than likely. Yeah, if you uh, if you listened to Bears fans, you would have thought they'd be winning the Super Bowl this year. But, uh, like, what happened, you know? They're, they're falling flat on their face, like you said. And it's not like they're playing superstar teams to start the year. Like Tampa Bay this past week. Yeah, Baker's playing scrappy, but... Tampa Bay was a team I, I think kind of universally picked to be picking near the top of the draft. Uh, so not great there. I, I will say Luke Getze is kind of, I, I am going to place some of the blame on him because we saw last year, Justin Fields had one of the best uh, seasons rushing the ball ever for a QB. And it seems like Getze's kind of said, okay, we have this generational running year. Let's take that away. And, you, you can't really do that. You can't take the stinger away from the bee, like they say. You can't take the tools out of the toolbox. Fields is an excellent rusher of the ball, and they really need to be designing like four to five runs per game, I think, for him. And that kind of helps loosen up the defense so he can get the ball to people like DJ Moore, who can work in space, people like Darnell Mooney. I know they had a drive where they got the ball to Claypool, who seemed like he was uh, kind of in the doghouse to start the year, or after that week one game. 
because people were pointing out he didn't have a lot of effort in the game in terms of blocking and route running. So it was good to see him scoring. But yeah, like the Bears, like what's going on? And but before we go off the Bears, I also want to say I think their defense is in an even worse state than the offense. That secondary just looks horrendous, especially after spending all those high picks on those players. Talking like Eddie Jackson, who got hurt again, so we can't really count him in this. They have Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon, who are both super high picks, I think both top 50. Uh, Jalen Johnson is a pretty good corner, but he's not playing up to par. And Tyreek Stevenson, a second rounder from this past year. Like they've invested well, a lot there. And it's just I, I think what not hurts together. is that the Bears don't have an edge presence. You can't get after mm-hmm. the quarterback. Like guys can only cover for so long. Like there were there were elements to that defense that like people weren't realizing. Like, yes, they took Darnell right. He was supposed to shore up the right tackle position. But they also missed out on a guy in just taking Jalen Carter. And Jalen right. Carter's been, had a huge pressure rate so far this year. So it's like one of those things that you could have had a difference maker. And obviously there there were the big, big question marks surrounding Jalen Carter's like character profile and stuff like that with some of the offseason stuff that was going on. But when you're talking about making difference makers, the, the Bears didn't add them on defense this past year. And so Ab- when- Absolutely. Their best uh, – adi- well – I don't want to discount Edmonds, but their best addition to that defensive line was Unique Ngakwe, who they added like three weeks ago. I I mean, yeah, you could argue Javon Dexter was a great uh, draft mm-hmm. pick, but rookies aren't expected to necessarily make uh, strides first first weekend, play in and play out. Um, it, it's just there, there are a lot of question marks. Again, this was a 3-14 and 14 team. They have a lot of questions. And I think exactly like you said, Luke Getze deserves a lot of blame because – like what you saw Shane Steichen do with Jalen Hurts. Like, play to his strengths. Keep the Mm -hmm. offense very simple. And, like, you have enough weapons now around him to where you can win these one-on-one matchups and make the reads really, really simple for him. These don't need to be super complex offenses. This is – it's it's what I disliked about Bruce Arian's system. There's a lot of other offensive coordinators that just design these really, really intricate and detailed and very – I just complex offenses and it doesn't help the quarterback who's trying to develop into a a starting quarterback, a franchise quarterback at the NFL level. And so it's just, it's one of those things that the play caller needs to help the player out. And that's definitely a point, but fields definitely does have some growing to do. Um, Moving on to a coach that has kind of revolutionized the NFL over the past two years and has helped his players is Mike McDaniel. Um, I think we can argue that he is probably the best prodigy to come from the Kyle Shanahan tree. And that includes guys like Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay. And it's, it's one of those guys that with what he's done to evolve how defenses kind of guard motion and speed, it's, it's top notch and it's gone so far that it's influenced Bill Belichick, a defensive coach, to take some of those principles and apply them to special teams. And it's just so cool to see kind of some of those wrinkles and overlaps across the NFL. Yeah, Mike McDaniel, we were talking about this a couple of days ago. I definitely think he's the final evolution of the Shanahan play caller. Just the way he... I don't know if you saw it. It was like a breakdown of all the different pre-snap motions Tyreek Hill had week one. There was like 19 or 20 different ones. Just, yep. just for Tyreek Hill. And it worked out, obviously. He had like 200-whatever yards. But the way he's able to plan and scheme motions and routes and just concepts, it's incredible. I mean, we're talk- let's look at the Patriots game, right? Obviously, they came into the game saying, all right, we saw what Tyreek Hill did. 
we got to hold him. We can't let him do anything. And well, they, they, they were playing him. like three safeties. Yeah. Like they, they were not going to get beat deep. That That is well, what that, they came into that game saying. That, yeah, that, that's getting to my point. They played three deep safeties, and Tyreek Hill had, I think, 45 yards or something like that. But McDaniel knew that they were going to do that, and he was like, guess what? Let's run Raheem Mostert for like 120-something yards and two touchdowns and just gash a Bill Belichick defense in the run game, something that should never happen under a Belichick defense. But they carved him up on the ground, and that's how they got the win. It's just playing to the strengths of your offense and manipulating the other team's defenses is something Mike McDaniel's done uh, better than any play color I, I can, like, can remember in recent memory. Now, it does help when you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle on the, the same field. That kind of speed kind of creates the defense, the force, uh, exactly like what we were talking about, three high safeties. Like, nobody respects the Panthers now uh, to the point where you're, you're going to respect speed and, like, guys blowing by. You have to with this offense that Mike McDaniel has, and he knew that. That's why he went out after he got hired by Miami and traded for Tyreek. He knew what he could do and unlock with a player like that. And they've taken full advantage of that. Because like you said, if you're going to take away Tyreek Hill, then we're just going to gash you in the run game. Because that's what he did with Kyle Shanahan for all those years. That's what separated him from the Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay. He needed something that would distinguish him enough that would keep him valuable in Kyle Shanahan's kind of like corner. And that was the run game. So for him to kind of blend those two together, exactly like we were talking about earlier, to be able to blend the run in the pass, he does that so effortlessly, and it's just so fun to watch. Now, a guy that's cut from a similar cloth who has been around the NFL for a little bit longer is Sean McVay, and he has kind of reinvented himself with Matthew Stafford, and it's very interesting to see a wider receiving core led by Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell, and Van Jefferson being able to do this, this early in the off season, uh, not off season season. Like you beat Seattle and uh, you beat Seattle and Seattle, you beat the Seahawks in Seattle. I can't talk, um, beat them 30 to 13 outright, just dog them. And then you play a close game to the 49ers and they're a good team. Like they blew the doors off the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Los Angeles stadium was filled with 49ers fans. Like it, this wasn't a home field advantage situation. They played them really well. It's one of those things that I think we need to talk about McVay is he's not done. He's not gone. He has every intention to keep winning and being effective in the NFL. So it's it's very cool to kind of see that this year as well, because I think a lot of people wrote off the Rams, myself included, at the top of the year. Exactly. Before we even started the season, when we did our predictions episode. This was before Cooper Cup went on IR or anything. We both had the Rams, I think, picking in the top three or four. Uh, and then Cooper Cup got hurt. He went on IR. Their only weapon on offense, right? And everyone started writing them off. You, me, a lot of people. And now Stafford comes out the gate and plays probably the best he's played since maybe his Lions days. Maybe even better than the Cup Triple uh, Crown year. And it's led by a rookie receiver in Puka Nakua. And a, like not a rookie, but a second year running back in Kyron Williams as the two main weapons. What McVay's been able to do with and the, I, I got to give credit to the o-line it's better a lot better than i thought it was but what mcveigh has been able to do with that is just astounding and that's why like right here what i wrote for this bullet are, are the rams back even though they don't have all the the super team talent they had before i think that's a question we we're gonna have to consider moving forward early into this season they've looked pretty good 
I would say Stafford's looked pretty good too. I didn't think he would be this good, but he's he's looking good coming off that injury. Absolutely. Yeah. And to have an elbow injury, like it's some of those things that you you constantly see like different arm injuries for us. It was like Cam Newton with a shoulder. It was Jake Delone with his elbow for you Panther fans. And it was like after those injuries, the quarterback wasn't the same. So for him to come back and be slinging it the way he is to look as great as he is, it's it's a testament to what they're doing out in Los Angeles. I didn't think their defense would be anything to write home about. And they're playing stingy football like this is props to that coaching staff for getting these guys to play. Now, a couple other surprising teams that have jumped out. And again, it's week two. Things can change by the end of the year. We're, we're, we're in the midst of a very long season. We're talking about like we've seen about an eighth of it so far. And right now, Washington, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and New Orleans, teams that I think people would write off as kind of like bottom NFC teams, are all 2-0 right now and all look really impressive. Um, in different aspects. For Washington, it's Sam Howell. For Atlanta, it's really, I think, Bijan. I mean, the man had over 38% of the uh, total yards on offense, both receiving and rushing for the Falcons this past week. So the dude is an absolute game wrecker. And then New Orleans, you bring in Derek Carr, and he's getting the ball to Chris Olave, their big playmaker. And that's exactly what he did uh, on Monday night. And then Tampa Bay, I mean, you, you can't write off. I, I said the only way this team would kind of stay in games is that defense. And Todd Bowles has had this defense playing lights out. And Baker's been playing really efficient football. So you kind of keep those things in tandem. These teams could maybe make a playoff push down the stretch. And it's, it's pretty impressive because, again, like I said, I think both of us, uh, the majority of uh, the general consensus had these teams as more like bottom of the NFC, not not teams that were pushing to be kind of playoff contenders. Well, one of those three NFC South teams has to make a play like a playoff run, right? Or Absolutely. If, yeah. if the Panthers don't. Yeah, but I would say Washington has looked good. I think Eric Bieniemy is really calling a good offense for Sam Howell. So it's, it's crazy, right? He, who knew he could call plays, you know? But uh, the offense is looking good there. Sam Howell is looking better than a fifth-round pick. I don't know how he made it to the fifth round. But uh, everything's looking good there. And then these other teams, I think it's uh, impressive that they're 2-0. And kind of on the flip side, we have some high-powered offenses that I think a lot of people were high on coming into the year, starting 0-2. We have the Chargers that are 0-2, the Vikings, the Bengals, the Broncos. Well, the Patriots, they aren't a high-powered offense, but I think they're a better team than an 0-2 team. They have a strong defense, an actual real play caller now. So, And, I, and they I think played the, the Eagles and the there. Dolphins yeah, the yeah, first two fair. weeks out of the gate. They were one-possession losses. They had opportunities to win in both games. So it's, like, it's, it's, it's hard to write off the Patriots this quick because of that. But when you look at the Chargers and what their defense has given up, like – what the Titans did to that defense, that should be worrisome. That should absolutely be worrisome, especially with the talent you have on that side of the ball, the amount of money you have invested in that side of the ball. That's just unacceptable. The Vikings, they were in the middle of kind of like a rebuild this offseason. We talked about it. They stripped a lot of things down to the studs, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Brian Flores has done some creative things so far, but it's one of those things you can't expect a lot from the defense two weeks into it like this is something that brian flores is going to have to work through and kind of build as the season progresses i definitely don't think they're an own two team but they definitely need to do a lot to balance back now if we're going to talk about the Bengals, i think that is actually cause for concern they started oh and two last year but i i mean joe burrow like if he's out for 
or if he's not a hundred percent for the next four weeks or so, like, is this a team that's even going to make the playoffs? Who knows? But if he goes on IR, bring me T Higgins. That's all I know. But uh, it is a bit of a concern. He's obviously still pretty clearly injured. Uh, His main playmaker, Jamar Chase, isn't doing him any favors. But I will say throughout Burrow's career, and by proxy Zach Taylor, they are 1-7 and in weeks 1-2. and Obviously, they went 0-2 last year. I think they went 0-2 his rookie year. And I believe they were 1-1 the Super Bowl year. So they always seem to have slow starts. But I think this year is different. I think the calf injury still is lingering on Burrow and it's affecting his play. And then the last team we talked about here, the Broncos, uh, like their offense is still doing pretty well. Russ is cooking uh, in relation to what he did last year. And I would say he's playing better than he has in quite a few years. Uh, It's just, I'm not sure what to make of that. They lost to the Raiders and the commanders, two teams that I wouldn't say are world beaters, but yeah, there's high, another high powered offense that's starting going too. I think it goes back to the defense. It was something I was delving into this offseason. And when you lose a guy like Evero, that was huge for the defense. And Sean Payton, great offensive play caller. He is he has shown that the first two weeks. The Broncos run one of the most efficient offenses. Like I think it's points per possession. It was like a Rex Ryan skip because he was upset he didn't get the defensive coordinator job. Uh, but it was <laughs> they lead the NFL. Like this is a team that if they have the ball, they put up points and that's, that's what you have to do as an offense. The issue is, is Vance Joseph isn't the answer there. So if a guy like Dennis Allen, say he, he falls to seven and 10 or the the saints kind of fall apart down the stretch and maybe they say goodbye to him. If Dennis Allen pairs again with Sean Payton out in Denver, I think that that team takes a step next year, but until they kind of fix that defense and retool it, I think they aren't going to be a playoff contender. Like it's it's just something that the AFC, there's a lot of good teams. They're already in 0 and 2 hole. Uh you lost some tiebreakers. Uh, not saying that the Raiders are going to be a playoff contender, but it's one of those things that you you don't want to lose some of those games that kind of can move the needle towards the end of the year. Absolutely. I think uh I think all of those teams have something to look forward to. Maybe not the Bengals in the short term. Uh, But regarding teams that have separated themselves thus far, for me, it's only the Dallas Cowboys. I think they're clearly, I said they had the best roster. I think they're clearly the best team in the NFC, at least right now, if not the entire NFL. Just a dominant defense. I saw a uh, graphic today. Their defense is actually the third highest scoring fantasy football player uh, thus far in the season, which is, and it's, I think it's Tyree Kill, Puka Puka Nakua, Nakua. and and then the Cowboys defense and special teams, which is just insane but uh their offense isn't bad either i know mike mccarthy's been calling an efficient offense according to your play calling metrics and rankings so uh, they're just far and away the best team for me right now they're when when you get into i think this is what year is this year four for mccarthy it's either year three or four when you have this many years within the system when you add in complementary pieces like they did with a Gilmore and Cooks, it's not like they're banking on one of these guys to make that unit or group. These are complementary pieces to stars they already have on those kind of position groups. They have Trayvon Diggs, they have CD Lamb, and then their defensive line is just so ferocious. Like when when you said like what teams have separated themselves, it is far and away the Dallas Cowboys right now. If we were to say, hey, who's who's the Super Bowl favorite? I would, I would put money on the Dallas Cowboys if the season ended today. Absolutely. However, it's, it's like nothing slowing them down right now. The Chiefs 
And the reason why I want to bring this up is because their defense has been balling. Like, you don't have the Brian Branch pick six against in week one versus the Chiefs in Arrowhead. What? they? It was 21 to uh, 20 was the final score. So it would have been like 20 to 14. So you you hold the high-powered Ben Johnson Detroit Lions offense to less than 20 points. They they go in the Jacksonville. They hold Trevor Lawrence to under 10 points, and they absolutely shut him down in the red zone. It's one of these things that Spagnola has those boys playing at a high level, and you know Andy Reid, Mahomes, Kelsey, when everybody's on the right page, that offense is going to be clicking. So to me, in the AFC I haven't seen enough to see anyone kind of supplant them as the favorites. I, I think this is the Chiefs' conference to lose. I, I think they've made that abundantly clear with how the defense has been playing, that all around, this is a roster to compete with. Absolutely, and I think once everybody's uh, on the same page, like Kelsey's back to full health, Chris Jones is back to 100% game shape, I think they'll be even scarier. I mean, he was wrecking the game in Jacksonville and the humidity down there. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you want to talk about game shape. And I I know they were talking about it on the broadcast is that he had been doing a lot of training in Miami and other things. So like he was used to the heat, but to still see that kind of production after missing all of training camp and holding out the way he did and to come out like that, that was very impressive. And you know what's crazy? That game is the last time the Chiefs will be playing at 1 p.m. this year. After that, it's all middle or night games or Thursday or Monday or what have you. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're going to be in good shape going forward. And uh, I think it's time to get into the best performances from this week. And one of those one of those was Chris Jones. Do so you want to kind of touch on that? I know it wasn't our top performance. Yeah, but, it is but oh, no, we, we absolutely have to touch on him. It was his first game of the season. He obviously missed uh, week one before, uh, during his holdout. He had a limited snap count. I think he played right around 50% of the snaps. But he dominated the Jags offensive line and Trevor Lawrence. He had 1.5 sacks and two two QB hits to start the year. Probably a bunch of pressures, too. I don't have the pressure numbers in front of me. Just a dominant performance for a guy who wasn't playing or practicing throughout training camp or week one. And so he just he got it done. Now, another guy that we've talked about, uh, we talked about him in the McVay segment and the Rams segment. This guy, and I had I had heard about it. You you always hear about these training camp stories. This guy's he he's the next big thing. Like we were hearing it all about Justin Ross, and I think Justin Ross still has mm-hmm. the potential to be productive. Uh, there have been Panthers players throughout the year, Curtis Samuel, for instance. Oh, this he he's going to take the league by storm. This is our dude. He's our training camp hero, and you're hearing that about Puka Nakua around the Rams. Yeah, really didn't I mean, give it much credence. Like they, they, they were a roster that was kind of bottom of the league. You're not sure about Stafford's health. Like what we talked about the offensive line, we didn't expect to be this good. And then all of a sudden he's putting up Cooper cup type numbers two games into his career. And that's, that's pretty crazy. I know that you picked him up in fantasy. Uh, it's, it's insane. This man has racked up over what? 20 receptions, Um, I think he has over like 250 yards. I may be wrong on that, but it's just he has been very productive in playing the Cooper Cup role. He has played all over the field in McVay's system. It's it's very fun to watch. Well, he's playing the Cooper Cup role in terms of usage, but where he lines up, you're right. It's across the field as opposed to the majority being in line or in the slot like Cup did. He's like uh, more of a bigger body and 
I think even once uh, Cup comes back, they're going to be able to deploy him and use him a ton. So it's it's really good to see the Rams having a young stud at the wide receiver room because the rest of their team is kind of nobodies or old people, especially on uh, defense, like all the old stars that are all gone now. It's just AD. But it's really nice to see a guy shining when nobody other than people in the Rams camp expected him to. Absolutely. But the next guy, the next guy, I'm going to take this one, you know. That's oh, like, you, uh, this is a guy that everybody expected to shine, and he he's proved everybody right. It's Bijan Robinson as our next best performer. He had over 100 rushing yards, over 170 scrimmage yards. And like you were talking about, I think, what was it, 38% of the Falcons' total yards in that win? He's who led the uh, Falcons to beating the Packers. Not Ritter, yep. not Kyle Pitts, not Arthur Smith. It was Bijan. He carried the team, and uh, he's who all of us thought he was, you know. And I, I thought the Packers would go in and kind of crush the Falcons. I know both of us and our guests last week all picked the or the Packers to win that game. Bijan uh, turned that around and helped carry the Falcons to a victory. Absolutely. And, I mean, Jordan Love kind of fell flat down the stretch in the fourth quarter. They had a – I think it was like two three and outs. And, like you said, Bijan kind of ran away with that game and – Nate Tice had a great comment about kind of the week two NFL recap about Bijan is that he can turn pretty much like a one or two yard gain into a 16 yard gain. He he has the ability to make guys miss in space, break tackles. He is truly a transcendent talent. And so why you can have all the arguments about surplus value and whatnot, what he is giving them down in and down out his rookie year is phenomenal and worth every penny. Absolutely. Now, I, I, before we move on, I saw something, uh, this is fantasy football related, but also relates to rookie receiving stats other than Puka Nakua and no, it's just Puka Nakua. I think it's Bijan Robinson has the best, uh, like yards per attempt receiving wise of all the rookies. And it's just, he's just dynamic like that. He may be a running back, right? But he's going to be the best skill player on the field. And that's where taking him at pick eight or yeah, the eighth pick overall justifies itself. Absolutely. Now, another guy, and there's multitude of opinions on where this guy lands in the quarterback landscape and the ranking. And there's there's cool things published by like Arjun Amenin with uh, PFF, uh, intern with the Jets this past summer, in saying that like Kirk Cousins is kind of like what you would define as the average quarterback. And what he did versus the Eagles against their a ferocious defensive line that was relentless on Thursday night. He put up over 350 yards and four touchdowns. And he, he spread the ball around. You saw him hitting Justin Jefferson. You saw him hitting Jordan Addison. You saw him hitting TJ Hawkinson. I think Hawkinson had the two touchdowns. Jefferson mm -hmm. would have had the touchdown had he not fumbled at the goal line. Jordan Addison had the touchdown. Like, it's just... He he got the ball to the playmakers, and that's exactly what he's supposed to do. So I'm excited about what the Vikings offense will look like this year. It was something that I projected to be top 10 going into this year. The big question mark was just their defense. And if they can get average play from their defense, I think they can make a playoff push. This is a team that people should kind of be aware of. Like, again, this is a team that beat the Bills in Buffalo last year. I, I feel like they have that kind of ability to go in and upset a, a big team if if they're clicking on all cylinders. So definitely a team to kind of keep an eye on, but in terms of best performances, Kirk Cousins is up there. 
Absolutely. Uh, we usually try to include a QB, and I think he had the best performance this week. He was just lights out. He's He's been on fire to start the year. If their defense were like average, like you're saying, I think people would uh, give him more stock in having one of the best years of his career right now. But uh, speaking of defense, our last best performer, this is a guy we added today because it was yesterday, Charlotte alum Alex Highsmith. Seven tackles, a forced fumble, and on the very first play of the game, an interception and a touchdown. Just an all-around game wrecker for the Steelers last night. Helped uh, really disrupt uh, Watson in the pocket and lead to that win. A big win that they needed after losing week one. Absolutely. And that was a uh, game we predicted both the Steelers to kind of take. Definitely felt like that Mike Mike Tomlin get right game. I remember mm-hmm. hearing um, Brian Clark. I think it was kind of like what, he was asked, like, what's what's the kind of message Mike Tomlin's given in that locker room? And it's the standard's the standard. That's that's what it is with the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. Like, you're expected to win. But then there's an element of you never get too high and you never get too low. And so that is what Tomlin brings is that even keel approach that you're going to go in, you're going to play your best ball. And they leaned on their defense and they and they won that way, which was awesome to see. And again, that kind of mantra is what we need to kind of lean into, especially with keep pounding being the Panthers kind of anthem and motto and going into Seattle. This is a defense that can't stop the run. We saw David Montgomery and Jamar Gibbs kind of cook in Detroit last week. We saw the Rams kind of run all over them with Kyron Williams, who nobody had really heard of. I, I know you you had done some kind of draft work on him, but from the national landscape, the the general consensus, nobody really knew Kyron Williams, is that's where we need to lean on Miles Sanders and Shuba Hubbard. And I feel like the more that we do that in Seattle, the the better our chances of pulling out the win. We did it last year with Foreman and Shuba. I think we need to actually do some RBs package, get some six, maybe even seven offensive linemen on the field, and just play bully ball. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I did have Kyron Williams as a top five running back in that class and Jerome Ford, too, who looked good last night. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, We do need to keep pounding the rock against Seattle. I don't think their defensive line is built to stop it. It's exactly how we beat them last year. We may not have the power back that we had in Deontay Foreman, but maybe we can, uh, like you said, get some extra personnel in there as blockers. Maybe get uh, Chenault some carries. He's probably our power back right now. We used him a couple times uh, last night as a runner. He had a good run last night up Mm -hmm. the seam. He bounced off a couple guys, turned what would be like a three-yard gain into like a six, seven-yard gain. It It was pretty nice to see. Yeah, I think that's his thing. And if we can use him that way, then all the better, right? Um yeah, it's just I'm still concerned about the uh, the play calling. I don't know how that's going to work out, but um, hopefully we figure it out for this game. I alluded to it when we were kind of ripping on the Panthers earlier after the Saints loss. But Thomas Brown, he comes from the McVay tree. We saw what McVay did in Seattle literally week one. We need him to replicate that. I, I, I don't know exactly. I haven't looked back at the film and seen exactly what he did to kind of rip apart that Seahawks defense. But that's, that's a similar game plan that we need to go in with. We need, need to be diverse. We need to kind of show complexity about what we're doing. I know McVay likes using play action. I Again, I didn't go back and watch that game to know what all happened. I know Stafford was kind of dotting them up left and right. But again, Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell, Van Jefferson, when I saw the highlights, I wasn't necessarily seeing this immense separation. 
So it's one of those things that if Bryce Young can play in structure, we can lean on the run game. We have a shot because I think our defense can play this offense relatively well. I know their interior offensive line is banged up. We need Derek Brown and Chai Tuttle to kind of get after Geno Smith, push the pocket kind of into his face. Um, my big concern is their wide receivers. I feel like their wide receivers are a lot better than the Saints when you have Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and JSN. They've been relying, kind of what I was alluding to with the Falcons and Arthur Smith, where his success has been. The Seahawks, when they were in Detroit, they would run 12 and 13 personnel, get a, the Detroit Lions in the base package, and then they would just shred them. Like Geno Smith was out of his mind in 12 and 13 personnel. I think it was like 13 personnel. He was like six to seven. Uh, Nate Tice was kind of breaking it down on the athletics. So it's it's one of those things that we need to make sure that we stop them and not only those wide receivers, but when they decide to go heavy, that we can stop their tight ends. And so the loss of Shaq Thompson, hopefully Camus, uh, 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 Gruger Hill, and uh, Frankie Luvu can kind of do their part. Luvu's been playing out of his mind, so I'm not too worried about him. But Camus, that's one of those things that is he going to be a liability in coverage or is he going to be able to kind of play the run in the pass at the same time? Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I think Seattle's offense is certainly better than that of New Orleans or Atlanta, but our defense has looked good. I'll say, and I think they I think they're up for the challenge, but it it definitely will be a challenge. You were alluding to how the interior of Seattle's O line's banged up. Well, their tackles are too. Both of them yep. got hurt in Week One, so I think that's going to be the pressure point for our defense. Getting pressure with. Burns, uh, Justin Houston, YGM, Frankie Luvu coming off the edge. Luvu was a nightmare for the Saints O-line coming off the edge. So I think the, our uh, our key to success on defense is getting pressure on that O-line so Geno doesn't have the time to throw to those excellent playmakers that they have in Metcalf, Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Absolutely. And the, and the more that we can win the trenches, the the higher the probability of, of us winning. Because in terms of like a skill position battle, we aren't going to win. We, we will not win in a shootout. We are not equipped for that. We need to play down and dirty. And that is how we're going to beat Seattle is just taking them in the trenches and making this an ugly fight. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Uh, clearly, we didn't really do that with New Orleans and at, at Atlanta as much as I wanted to. Um, but you're hoping with some of these performances that Frank Reich does some kind of looking in the mirror and realizing like, hey, we need to actually play to our strengths, uh, especially with how banged up our interior offensive line is. We can't we can't drop back 30 plus times and expect to win a game um, comfortably. Uh, it's, it's that's just not how we're going to be able to draw it up. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of like keys to success on the offensive side and being able to generate points? So we, we can put a dub in the win column uh, for once this year. It just comes back to the play calling, right? It just has to be more creative. Call some plays to get guys like Thielen and Hurst separation. If they're the only guys getting separation, just draw some plays up for them. If Mingo and Chark can't separate, get some other guys on the field. Get Amir Smith-Marset on the field, who's a speedster. Get Terrace Marshall on the field, who may not be able to separate as much, but he's a big body. He's probably the best jump ball receiver we have. So on possession downs, get him the ball. Run some more 12 personnel. Frank Reich's a, a tight end guy. Let's run some more 12 personnel, especially in the run game. And my last one would be actually run some play action and bootlegs. Get get Bryce on the move a little bit so he can dissect and set and throw, something he's super good at. Just uh, no more first and 10, second and 10, third and six runs. The not, No more John Fox playbook <laughs> moving forward in this game. 
And that that kind of wraps up our uh, our preview of the next game. And kind of looking at the college standouts, I know a lot of us are draft junkies. You know, uh, I'm a big draft guy. Pan- Panthers fans over the past couple of years have had to morph into draft people just because we've been so bad. But this <laughs> this past week, uh, it's kind of more of the same. Drake May had another incredible game against Minnesota. Shador Sanders, another incredible game. Without Travis Hunter for most of the game, he got hurt. Well wishes to him. After that, just egregiously dirty hit. Uh, I hope he's able to bounce back from that in a couple weeks. Colorado has a few rough ones coming up. But then the two big ones I wanted to point out were LSU quarterback and wide receiver Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors, respectively. Daniels is a guy that I don't know if you remember, Steve, back in our sophomore year of college, I saw him throw into Brandon Ayuk, and I bought stock on him then. And he's been performing for LSU since he's transferred there two passing and two rushing touchdowns in this game versus Mississippi state. And then Malik neighbors, the wide receiver who's going to be draft eligible this year, 13 receptions, 229 yards, two touchdowns, just an all around incredible game. That's another guy that Panthers fans should probably be looking out for. I think we all agree that wide receivers, probably what we need to pick in round two, where our first pick is. And uh, that's another one to add to the list with like Keon Coleman, Troy Franklin, who I talked about last week, just a bunch of guys. And then it was kind of a dull college week this past week, but upcoming. So what we'll talk about next week, this might be the best college football slate of the year. We have FSU, Clemson, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, Utah, Duke, Yukon, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, Oregon State, Washington State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Texas, Baylor, UNC, Pitt, Iowa, Penn State, and Cal, Washington. All of those games have at least one ranked team, and most of them have they're both ranked matchups. Like I think nine, I think we have nine ranked matchups this upcoming week. It's going to be an incredible week for college football. I'm excited. Absolutely, and I know this is going way back to what you were previewing, but Jaden Daniels, like you were saying with LSU, I remember watching the first half of their game versus was it Florida State to start the year. Am, yeah. I, am I mincing? Yeah, he looked yeah, really State. good. I, he, he looked composed. Uh, it was very interesting to kind of see. So hopefully he kind of progresses. I know we don't have really a need for quarterback, but it was cool that you kind of brought out Malik Napier's as, as a potential wide receiver, the target in the second round. So that, that, that could be nice. As we're wrapping up this episode last week, I had a perfect take uh, that the Seattle Seahawks would beat the Detroit Lions. Some of the other picks that I had that were upsets were – the Titans over the Chargers or the Ravens over the Bengals. Are there any upsets as you're looking at the schedule this week where you're like, hmm, that's that's a team that's going to kind of be a surprise this this week in the NFL? Um, I don't know the exact line in the Chargers-Vikings game, but I would figure that the Chargers are probably favored on a neutral site. Uh, but I think the Vikings are going to win that one. I like their offense a lot better. I think Kevin O'Connell's a better play caller and just their weapons are insane between Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson, and Osborne. They got a lot of sins on their defense and their receiver like receiver group, but yeah, I think their offense is just going to hold together and deliver them the win there. And then maybe I, I would assume Green Bay is favored, but I, I think New Orleans can go in and win that one. Gotcha. Yeah, you are right. Uh, the Chargers are favored by like one and a half points. Um, I am more on on the Chargers side I feel like this is a must win game if they lose this 
Brandon Staley might be Cam before the halfway point of the year, and we might see Kellen Moore actually as a head coach moving forward, which would be rather interesting. Um, I, I'm 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 looking at the schedule, and I'm I'm really bullish on most of the favorites here. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would keep an eye on the Bengals situation in terms of Joe Burrow if he does play versus the Rams. I think that that's a potential upset, even though I think. The Rams right now are the underdog. I think it's like a two-point going into Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, overall this week, I think it's a lot of the favorites. I don't I don't have a lot of upsets. I have Tennessee going in and I think defeating Cleveland, which I think most people would have. Uh, Buffalo beating Washington on the road. Um, and then I have the Patriots beating the Jets on the road, which I, I think that'll work. You have Zach Wilson. Uh, I think Bill Belichick puts him in absolute hell. I think Mac Jones plays a relatively efficient game and they walk away with the win. So I, I would say out of the games this week, it would be Patriots over the Jets. Uh, I don't know what the line is. Let me pull that up, actually, because I think I think that's a good one to pull the cover. Patriots, Jets, spread line, do, 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 two and a half. Uh, the Patriots are favored going in. I think they win by more than a field goal. So, yeah, I think I think that would be my perfect take is the Patriots over the Jets. Uh, we'll, we'll release our picks Thursday before the games. I know we didn't post our uh, spread results from last week's episode. Um, I ended up missing on the 49ers-Rams game. I picked the 49ers to cover, and the last-second Rams field goal kind of thwarted that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that, that, was a, that was a big one for a lot of people. <sighs> yeah, I, I remember seeing a couple of TikTok breakdowns on that one. That one kind of made me sad. <laughs> Um, but I think I got the other two. I would have to pull it up real quick. Um, but I, what about you? Do you know the couple that you had as I'm pulling it up? Uh, I was one for two. I think I had Cincinnati winning. Uh, which, well, you had, or I had Bay covering. covering versus Atlanta, which is true. They covered. It was a one-point game. Uh, Indy won outright versus Houston, so you got that. The only one you had incorrect yeah. was your lock, which was the Cincinnati, the cover versus Baltimore. Yeah, um, I just... I thought uh, I didn't know Burrow was still dealing with that. And I, yeah, I just, I don't know. We both went two and one. This is back to back weeks. We both go two and one. Um, like I said, I missed the San Francisco LA one, but I picked uh, Pittsburgh, the cover versus Cleveland. And then the upset of the week again, I am picking on the Denver Broncos. I've had some beef with Broncos fans on Twitter, um, but they they're just, uh, they were currently overpriced. I think going into the season, I think it's the big thing. I, I expect Sean Payton to kind of work miracles in Denver. He has with that offense, but it just takes time to kind of get everything cohesive and together. And the commanders came in and, and handled their business, uh, and avoided overtime with that last second hail Mary. So with that, um, that is it for perfect takes. We actually hit over the hour mark. I, if I didn't have as many brain farts, we'd probably be under an hour, but, uh, this is uh, about it for perfect takes. Do you have anything else to kind of add before we wrap up? Man, I need to see some play calling changes or next week's episode is going to be an hour and a half. I agree. Uh, what what the rant you heard on about of our offense, we're going to be bringing up plays and actually like breaking stuff down if uh, this keeps continuing because it's it's so anemic. Uh, it's so predictable and we need, we need a breath of fresh air. So that's, that's why we brought in Reich and this coaching staff. I expect them to perform. If not, there'll definitely be changes in the future. So with that, that's it with us at perfect takes. We'll catch you next week.